0: Welcome to Stories from the Center of the Universe, the podcast about the human experience. Bill Coffin, welcome to the Center of the Universe.
1: It's great to be here. I really appreciate you bringing me on there, brother.
0: Yeah, man. Hey, I, I, I always viewed your accent, Bill, as
1: an army accent. But you you haven't lost a little bit of the Boston accent, have you? That uh, still comes out. I mean, it's uh, you're right. I've been in the army for a while. I kind of the army beat it out of me uh, early on, but uh, it comes out quite a bit. If I'm hanging around my family for more than five or ten minutes, then then you won't understand what I'm saying at all. But, uh, <laughs> it's been kind of plus my wife's from New Jersey, so she kind of beat it out of me also after I uh, linked up with her.
0: Yeah, Boston plus Jersey accent, they don't mesh typically. Exactly, kind of kind of cancel each other out
1: sometimes. Yeah, so
0: I guess we should start with uh, how you and I know
1: each other. Okay, yeah, I mean, I, I mean, you mentioned to Rob earlier that uh, we served in the army together. Um, yeah, back in shoot two thousand four, maybe. Yeah, exactly. I, I, right. I came to the engineer battalion, the Virginia Guard, and and you were there, and uh, and we spent a couple of great years there uh, working together and uh, doing some great things for for that organization. And, uh, and and the rest of my time in the army, uh, I think we served together almost most of my years remain in the Virginia guard in different units. So,
0: yeah, our time certainly, uh, overlapped more than, more than once. And, uh, I remember when we were in Fredericksburg and we would go out and have a, a couple of cold ones, uh, th- there was more than one occasion where people thought you and I were brothers. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. I think we had the same, uh, same build or something like that. Right. Same build, maybe similar faces and, uh, similar sensibilities.
1: Exactly. No, those are great yeah. times. I mean, I, I, you made, a, you, know, you made my time in that organization very enjoyable having you there and a few other folks that were down there.
0: Yeah, I, I will tell you – I don't think I've told you this. I got a, a text message from my, my current company's uh, CEO, and he, he said, hey, can you tell me who one of the best leaders you've ever had uh, was and, and why? And this is over text. And I'm like, well, he's the most important guy in my company. He's asking me, so I'm going to bang out – uh, a meaningful, thoughtful, comprehensive answer. My thumbs were, have never been the same, and uh, I, I basically describe you to it. Really? Yeah, absolutely. Um, and I, I can bore you with all the reasons why, but yeah, you, you have been one of my favorites. Uh, learned a ton from you. Uh, actually, I became a better battalion commander because I got to watch you be a battalion commander.
1: Can I uh, say I that. Really
0: appreciate.
1: Really appreciate that, Paul. I mean, I can, I can say the same. I'm having you and uh, working with you. I've learned a lot from you. Our organization would not have been a, a great organization without you being in there. You were kind of the, uh, you know, uh, Rob, he was, he was the operations officer, which to me means uh, the center of that organization. So uh, without without Paul being there, uh, everything kind of falls apart. And, and, and we had a great, uh, you know, he and I, Paul and I had a great chemistry and uh, it worked out pretty well for all the organizations we served in together.
0: Yeah, we, we, were, uh, we were a good team. We had a lot of folks around us uh, that, that served the unit well. I, I Some of my fondest memories were uh, from being the operations officer uh, in that battalion.
1: Yeah, and then we went off. <laughs> yeah, I remember, well, I remember a whole bunch of things from that organization. But I remember going to, when we go to our annual training, we'd have a little downtime, and uh, Paul was in charge of movie nights. So every night out in the field, somehow we had a remote computer out there with a little big screen on there, and uh, and Paul, uh, was it? Paul had a, a host of movies they bring with him out to the field, so that kind of our downtime was taken up very well with uh, Paul's uh, judicious choice of movies watching. I,
0: I, I knew how to get things done, uh, to include uh, some relaxation uh, after the uh, the hard work day for sure. Absolutely.
1: All right, so yeah, that was Phil- a great time together in the engineer battalion. But you know, Paul, you know, our time together in Iraq uh, that was truly ver- yeah my most memorable time serving with you because uh you know the big organization we were in there again you were kind of in a key component there running uh that node cell if you will or lack of better term uh that organization we're in was was pretty awesome and uh and paul was a you were an unsung hero there so i really appreciate well, If i haven't told you before i appreciate everything you did for us uh, while we were there
0: uh, absolutely, uh, you're welcome, uh, Bill. And you were the XO at the time, and uh, yeah, you you were the guy behind the curtain, making sure everything was was happening the way it needed to happen.
1: Just make sure you have
0: what you need, right? <laughs>
1: Keeping the big boys out of your pants, right? Yeah,
0: that, yeah, well, that was one of your jobs, absolutely. All right, cool. So uh, you said the word "wicked" uh, uniquely. For, for a lot of your life uh uh a way that people from other parts of the country would not say it so you're from boston you spent the, your entire childhood in boston right yeah until i joined the army at 18 yeah right outside of boston yeah. all right. so t- talk about what it was like growing up in boston
1: that oh, was great i mean uh you know i got a big family up there' they're still up there so i came from uh i got three brothers and a sister and and a gazillion cousins all in that small geographic area called metropolitan boston so So it was great being, growing up there with the family and um, certainly, uh, you know, Boston sports, uh, you know, I'm not a uh, a jump on the train late guy as far as uh, Boston sports go, like a lot of people have done this past couple of decades. You know, I was there during the lean years back in the, when I was a kid in the 70s and 80s, watching the Sox lose terribly, the Patriots never winning. And um, so I got my payback the last, you know, 21st century here with all the success we've had, but but, yeah, sports was a big part of uh, what we did growing up because we live right outside of Boston, so we just jump on the uh, – you know, they call it the Metro here in D.C. But the MBTA, the T, ride the T into Boston. Yeah, I remember being a 10-year-old kid going on the T with my other friends. Uh, so you wouldn't think about that right now. Back in the 70s, you go on the Metro transit on your own, go into town and and pay $4 to go sit in the bleachers at Fenway Park. So it was a lot of fun.
0: So you would do a bunch of ball games at Fenway. Oh, yeah. Yeah.
1: Yeah. I mean, yeah. back then, um, I think it was four bucks to get in the bleachers, and the bleachers were first come, first serve, out in, yeah, out in center field. So you have to buy a ticket ahead of time. You just go there, wait in line, and go four bucks and watch the game.
0: Yeah. And, and you were, I mean, Boston, even though they weren't winning uh, World Series back then, they still had some good
1: players come through there back then. Oh, sure. Back in the 70s and 80s, you know, my, my, you know, the guy like looked at was Kari Strinsky. He was still around and, uh, had number eight on my baseball uniform just like him and uh kind of had my swing stance. I was left handed also batter. So kind of modeled it after Carrie Strensky. Yeah, Freddie Lynn, Jimmy Rice, uh, all those guys. Carlton Fisk. So it was a yeah, great y-
0: team. yeah as a lefty had to be your guy
1: then. That's right. That's right. Yeah, there was a big heartache back then too. 75 series and you know Bucky Denton 78. It's crazy. So so yeah, we were losing big all the time
0: but but you guys would go to the playoffs and end up losing to the M- evil
1: empire a lot, right? That's right. Yeah, big time. And I remember um good friends of the family brought me to Yankee Stadium when I was in 78 to see the Red Sox play there and uh you know back in the back in the 70s it was a pretty it's pretty dangerous around here if you had a Red Sox hat on or a shirt going to Yankee Stadium even in as a kid. In the Bronx? Yeah. In the Bronx, yes. Yeah. So, I mean, I remember the throwing a yeah, they're throwing bottles at the Sox outfielders in there and everything, and so it was it was, it was quite the experience. But, yeah, it was, it was big a uh, big rivalry at the Yankees back then, uh, you know, since then, but it's kind of eased off a little bit. But going there as a kid was quite the experience.
0: Yeah, g- going back to uh, pro sports, you're more of a football-baseball guy because the Celtics were pretty
1: good uh, – Part of your childhood, right? Yeah, sure. In the '80s, they were a big team. In the '80s, we're watching a little bit. Yeah, it wasn't my main sport, but yeah, they, they were huge back in the '80s with Bird and all those folks. Uh, the Bruins that they, they weren't doing too much until, until recently here.
0: Yeah, so was my team now.
1: All four of the Boston teams for the four
0: major sports have won at least one since 2000, and the uh, the Patriots have won six,
1: which is I yeah. can't
0: fathom because I remember the Jim Grogan. The helmet's where the, the Patriots snapping the ball between his legs kind of thing. And they oh, got yeah. blown out by the Bears in, what, the 85 season, 86 Super Bowl. And I'm like, oh, yeah. poor yeah. Patriots have been to this one out of all these years. <laughs> and they get blown out after they get there. Right. It's rough.
1: Well, of course, you know the Patriots, have, they'd have a few more Super Bowls if you didn't steal our boy down there to Tampa. So.
0: <laughs> well, I don't think we stole him. I think uh,
1: Belichick was done with him, right? Yeah, maybe, maybe. It's, you know, it's different theories in there. But, yeah, that's probably true.
0: Yeah, and uh, it's not hurting my feelings that uh, Brady's coming back for at least one more year because whenever Brady does hang it up, which I'm assuming it's after this upcoming season, my team's going to be bad for at least eight years.
1: (laughs) Well, he just sent their coach on his way, didn't he? Or did Brady Brady have a part in that?
0: I I have a feeling Tom had a big part in that. Yeah,
1: yeah.
0: I'm pretty sure he said if I come back, Bruce is doing something else.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Right, right. That should be a pretty exciting year down here in Tampa.
0: Yeah. I mean, I'll take it for all it's worth. Cause I, I really do believe we're going to be bad for a long time after uh, Brady finally <laughs> retires. All right. So were you, when you weren't in school, you weren't at home doing whatever with your, your parents, were you just playing sports
1: out in the neighborhood, just messing around? Yeah, pretty much. Uh, you know, playing little league, uh, baseball, popular football, just hanging out with the neighborhood kids, uh, until, you know, until it got dark, until streetlights came on, that's when you had to go back to the house and, uh, that was it outside all the time. Did did your parents know have a clue where you were? Uh not really. No. I was they, they just said be home, uh, you know, after dinner, you go out, street lights come on, come back to the house. So that's it. That's how all, all the <laughs> that's all the kids' parents were back then. They knew we were and safe that, in the neighborhood hanging out with each other.
0: Yeah, that was pretty universal. That was happening in Virginia too, for sure, back in the day. Right. Uh, yeah, and, and to think about kids now. Being left unchaperoned at the age of eight right. for, for even 15 minutes scares parents.
1: Yeah, yeah. Well, scare scared me when I, my kids were uh, growing up, uh, you know, when they were that age about 10 years ago. The same thing, you know, you, you used to worry about them more because uh, I don't know if you're more aware of what the dangers are out there or if the world's changed in the last 20, 30 years. I don't know. But uh, yeah, it's definitely uh, a different perspective. But you know, yeah. in, in my you know, in my mind, the kids kind of lose a sense of independence and being able to handle things on their own a little bit too. So it's kind of a trade off.
0: Yeah, I mean, safety's good, but unchecked safety can't be good. And as parents, our one of our jobs is to help our kids become independent by the time they're adults. And it's uh, it, it's a, it's hard. It's hard to find that balance.
1: Right. No, you're exactly right.
0: All right, so you, you mentioned you're one of four boys, and you have a sister. What number out of the five are you?
1: I was the uh, the youngest boy, so I was the fourth youngest boy, and then uh, my parents finally had a daughter. So I guess they gave up after that. So
0: <laughs> you're like, we're gonna keep going until we get a girl. That's what it seemed like. I don't know. But... <laughs> oh man, uh, were your older brothers just like two, four, six years older than you, or was there a significant age gap?
1: That's a pretty good gap. Uh, my next brother is six years older than me, and my oldest is 10, 10 years older, so it was a pretty big gap between number three and four there. So, um, so yeah, you know, my sister and I are a lot more closer because, you know, brother's a lot older than I were. It's about three and your years sister's together, between him. me and my sister.
0: Yeah, okay. So you and your sister uh, were in high school at the same time when you were
1: a senior. Yeah. She was a freshman kind of thing.
0: That's right, yeah. And you looked out for her. Nobody messed with
1: her because you were around. That's true. That's the way it worked, man. <laughs> everybody knew everybody else. So and if they if they weren't afraid of me, they knew that she had three older brothers, uh adult brothers at back at the house too. So she had no problems growing up.
0: Who who weren't afraid to uh
1: maybe smack a couple guys around, yeah. No, not at all, not at all. Things were you know, things were handled a little differently back in those days, right?
0: Absolutely. Uh corporal punishment wasn't a concept, it was just what happened.
1: That's right, that's right. That's
0: so when word. you were when, when you were, like, uh, I don't know, freshman to junior in high school, did you have ideas of what you wanted to do as an adult? Any idea?
1: Uh, you know, all my brothers my dad all worked in the uh, construction business and uh, worked in heavy equipment, those types of things. So so, you know, surely I think that's what I wanted to do, be an engineer. Didn't really know what that meant in high school, uh, but um, you know, I kind of wanted to go to college, so that's how I ended up in the Army. You didn't have a lot of money to go to college. So I did enlist uh, as a, you know, in the army for a couple of years, to get some college funds and, um, you know, and that, that ended up getting me to college in a different route, but, uh, you know, that's kind of the way it went. But yeah, I didn't really have a lot, of, a lot of aspirations when I was in high school to join the army. Didn't know anything about the army. Didn't really know anything about the army when I enlisted until I got to a basic training that I learned pretty quickly. So none of your brothers joined the army? Uh, one of my brothers joined the Navy for a couple of years. Um, you know, and he did like a five year tour and then he came out, but now the other bros had it now.
0: Yeah, and and uh it sounds like you grew up with uh fairly humble beginnings. Your your dad did you get, did you get graduate high
1: school? Uh yeah, yeah graduate high school and uh and like a you know, like the rest of his family, a lot of people uh uh in our neighborhood or in our area kinda of went, yeah, you know, worked in the construction business and um you know, there's a lot of that in Boston. You a lot of, a lot of construction work going on back in those days. So that's what a lot of the folks did.
0: Yeah, and you, and people started making money right away because they needed to make ends meet, uh, versus this highfalutin notion of
1: going to college. Yeah, that's right. That's right. So, all right. So, you, got so you, fortunate because I was one of the younger's, and uh, you know, maybe had a little more foresight for my parents after uh, uh my brothers got older. That maybe you know they kind of channeled me into going to college. So worked out pretty good.
0: Yeah, and and you joined the army, and as you just mentioned, uh, they were, they could pay for school. Uh, what what was education
1: reimbursement like back when you entered? Oh, I think uh, man, it's a while back, but I think I signed up for two years, and I would have would have uh, ended my time in service with twelve twelve thousand dollars to go to school, which um, you know the schools I wanted to go to were probably about four or five thousand dollars a year.
0: Yeah. So that would have gotten you through two plus.
1: Yeah, yeah, pretty much. And and, and two year enlistments. Who who's ever heard of such a thing? I don't know. I was you know I, like I said, I didn't really know anything about the army. I didn't want to like go in for four years. But uh, some recruiter said, "Hey, I'll give you some good money and get you in two years." And I know you sending me to Germany. So I said, hey, "I'll go to Germany for two years and come out with come out with some college money." And uh, it's a good decision at the time. All right, uh, where where did you end up going to basic? <laughs> Fort Leonard Wood, Missouri. First time I was ever on an airplane, man, going out to Missouri. So, oh, that was the first time you were in a plane. Heck yeah, yeah, yeah.
0: Yeah, and you you took a commercial plane, and you, you, where do, where do they land commercial planes to get you to Fort Leonard Wood eventually? They well, uh, bring just- you to
1: St. Louis and then put you on a bus with a bunch of other eighteen-year-old uh, Joes, and and some some reasons some some drill sergeant gave me an envelope that said I'm in charge of these Joes getting them from uh, St. Louis to Missouri. So I was like the bus captain. I didn't even know what that meant. I just I was I was, I was pretty scared though because I thought I uh, you know if something happened I'd be in trouble and all that all that. But uh, he said, "Here, you're in charge of these guys." Didn't know a thing about being in charge of anybody. So, so that was my first leadership experience, was herding up a bunch of high school kids uh, on a bus from St. Louis to, to Fort Leno.
0: And uh, were they well behaved? Did you have much trouble hurting the cats?
1: No, nah, no, nah, everyone was kind of quiet and, and deep in their own thoughts. You know, thing what I get myself <laughs> into. You know. <laughs> At what at what point did you realize you
0: weren't in Boston anymore and you were going through something uh, unique?
1: Probably just going and getting getting on post there at Fort Wood and into the uh, you know World War II barracks and uh, getting a bunk in this uh, large room with about 20 other guys and I knew it wasn't home anymore so
0: yeah, it's uh, did you have Firewatch during basic?
1: Oh yeah yeah for sure.
0: <laughs> for our listening
1: audience, you wanted to describe Firewatch? Sure. I mean, uh, you know, when you're asleep, uh, somebody has to be awake uh, to, to look out for the fire. If there's a fire, I don't know how a fire would start, uh, but but uh, we're in a barracks with with 40 other people. Uh, one person needs to be awake at all times. Usually it's like a two-hour shift. So someone would wake you up at two in the morning, you do your two-hour shift, and you wake up the other uh, soldier two hours later, and he'd do his two-hour shift. Uh, it was miserable because, you know, you're tired, you're basic training, you want, all you want to do is sleep and sleep. And then if you get caught sleeping on fire watch, it's like a major offense. Like they're gonna court martial you or something like that. But uh, it's bizarre. It's just kind of a way to indoctrinate young kids into the uh, the way to thinking the mil the way the military thinks. You know.
0: Yeah i i've I've had to pull fire watch a few times, and I was never sure what part of the building I was supposed to be looking at for for a potential fire.
1: That's right. That's right. Uh, what's your, also, uh, when you're basic training, you're hungry all the time. So uh, one time when I was on Firewatch, I went to the day room and and raided the uh, candy machine, which you weren't supposed to do it was off limits during the day. So uh, so I figured I'd sneak it the Firewatch, but they caught me. I don't know how they caught me, but they caught me. They must have cameras on there surveillance. I don't know, but I got I, so I paid for that for a couple days after that.
0: There's somebody on uh, watch the Firewatch guy. I guess Dude.
1: I guess it was someone there, Big Brother or something. But I got busted. Oh man. Uh, what's your fondest memory from basic? Um, that's a good question. It's so long ago, but uh, I think just going to the to the ranges. You know, I'm from, I'm from Boston, city guy. Never fired a weapon, never held a weapon in my life. Uh, so when I go out there and finally got to the ranges and uh, had this thing called a rifle in my hands, which first time ever, so that was pretty exciting. So that was about the most memorable uh, moment for me was just going out there and learn how to shoot a weapon and, and doing that kind of stuff. Were you a good shot? Yeah, it's pretty good. Yeah, absolutely, and learned pretty quick. And uh, yeah, so so it was fun. Yeah, I was never that good at it. Yeah, I, don't know. I, I mean, it's seemed to be all right. Yeah.
0: Yeah. If, if I got to thirty out of forty, I was pretty happy.
1: <laughs> right. Right. I don't know. Were I wasn't you? very I wasn't a very good shot after that. The rest of my career in the army, but basic training, I was doing pretty well.
0: All right, right on. All right. So th- when you enlisted. Did you say, hey, I want to be an engineer?
1: Yeah, that's a funny story. So, like, you know, I wanted to be, uh, you know, like I said, my family, my brothers, my dad all ran cranes, heavy equipment, that type of stuff. That's what I want to do in the Army. So the recruiter said, sure, you can do that in the Army. You can run heavy equipment and bulldozers and bucket loaders and all that stuff. Show me the video, you know, all these high speed soldiers building airfields and everything. I said, that's what I want to do. And he goes, all right, I got just a job for you. 12B combat engineer. And, and you know you and i know what 12, 12b combat engineer is but mm. you know in the army parlance uh that's not a equipment operator that's the combat engineer is just an infantryman with a shovel uh so so i went to basic training thinking i'm going to learn how to run all this heavy equipment and and i soon learned well eight weeks later i learned that that's not what i was doing so that's how i did yeah. as a combat engineer
0: yeah 12 is nowhere near 63 right
1: exactly exactly but i i, I 100% sure knew I was going in there to run Army heavy equipment and uh, went through all basic training, then went to AIT and advanced individual training. <laughs> I said, where's the bulldozers, man? And, and <laughs> drill sergeant dropped me for 20 push-ups or something like that. <laughs> Here's they, your they, bulldozer. They didn't even he had the shovel. They, they wouldn't even let you look at them? No. no I, mean, I, mean, I didn't remember seeing them while I was there.
0: Well, so you did AIT at Leonard Wood as well, right?
1: Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah it was, was it intentionally station one station? One station unit training, yeah. You go to basic training, get a weekend off, and then you start your combat skills training. They gave you a whole weekend, huh? They did. They a long weekend. I I, did, I I think I was an honor grad for the end of cycle test, so I got an extra day, so I had three days off. It was good. Nice. That's all right. Did you go anywhere? No. went to Rolla, Missouri, which was like right down the street. It was a college town, so, you know, because, you know, the college uh, – all the college students wanna that's the first thing you want to see is a bunch of Joes coming from Lindenwood with their army green uniforms on and uh ready to party. Well, at least you made it past Saint Robert. St. Robert's right, right there at the gate, Mike. I did, I did. Yeah. Well funny story. Speaking of St. Robert, uh that that my marriage certificate has Saint Robert on there. Because we got married really? at we got married at Saint Robert because uh uh I went I went back there for, for uh Officer Bates. Officer advanced course as an engineer officer. And my wife and I were, you know, were engaged and uh she was in the army and we we're having a hard time getting them assigned together. You know, from uh, you know, she they weren't they weren't gonna put us you know, I was at the I was at that course, she was at her course, they wouldn't put us together. So we got unless you were married. So we had to get married, uh the civil ser ceremony. So the army says, Okay, now you're married, now we can assign you guys together. So the only place we could do that was at St. Robert when I was at the advanced course at Letterwood. So we s- sat in some, uh, some pastors front, front, uh, it was front parlor. He married us there and that's it. Man. That's where our marriage license is from. Front parlor of the pastor's house or of his church? Yes. Yes. Pastor's house. Yeah. Uh,
0: and were there witnesses beyond the pastor?
1: Yeah. Yeah. We had two of our friends were there as witnesses. And, uh, and the funny thing is, you know, I think that was at you know one o'clock in the afternoon. Our ceremony is over by 1 30. So we're leaving we're leaving his front door. And then uh, incoming in, incoming as we're going out is this young private, E1 private, terrible look on his face with this young little uh you know, 18, 19 year old girl next to him. And I guess assuming her her parents were with, were with him because you know, this older couple with a scowl on their face and they were walking in. So I don't know what was going on there, but uh it wasn't a good scene, man. You know? Was he? Was the older male uh, carrying a shotgun? I, I think there was one in the, you know, in the rack of his pickup. But um, yeah, it was, it was. It was just funny. You know, here we're coming out, we're all happy because we're married, and there's a couple, young couple, going in there, and they they were not looking happy at all.
0: Yeah. Uh, you, you and uh, your wife sounds like you were a lot happier.
1: <laughs> exactly. Exactly.
0: So, did you have a party uh, later, or uh, a, a bigger
1: party with more family and friends? Well, yeah, we had planned to have one a, a year later after we got settled into our little, new location, and um, but then you know we got to our new unit, and um, then then my wife got pregnant with our first daughter, so that kind of pushed things back. And then uh, we never did have a big ceremony. We said we went back to Boston and Jersey and had like kind of an informal ceremony, but yeah, I didn't have a big wedding. Bill, I think you got to do you got to make because you've been married how long now? Uh, Thirty years this year, yeah. Has your anniversary hit? Yeah, it was. It was this past January. Okay. And, and yeah, you know, we're you know, and then we we're going to plan and travel, go to Europe and all that stuff. But you know, COVID kind of pushed that back, so that's on hold. So we'll probably do that next year. Big trip to celebrate our thirtieth.
0: Well, you should have a big trip to celebrate your thirtieth. But I think you also need a big wedding ceremony. I think so,
1: man. I think it might be time.
0: I mean, I'll show up.
1: I'll drink some beer. <laughs> well, my daughter's getting married next March. I don't know. Maybe we could. uh Maybe we'll do Ooh. something jointly with her or something. I don't know.
0: Yeah. She, I, I don't know your daughter at all, but uh, she may not like that.
1: Probably not. Probably not.
0: Yeah. All right. So you're you're now a combat engineer. At what point did somebody come up to you and say, hey, have you ever thought about uh, going to West Point?
1: Oh, well, I was at basic training. And, um, you know, and, and, and based on, you know, you take this general aptitude test to join the Army. Uh, everybody does that and that and I guess based on some arbitrary score they pulled me and about 10 other guys out and said hey you guys uh scored so high in this test that you're interested in going to, to the prep school for West Point and um uh, I said no I didn't know anything about West Point uh but you know I made the mistake of mentioning it to my parents what happened you know they say hey, they want me to go to West Point but I said no I'm going to Germany all this stuff and then uh lo and behold I come home I graduate basic training AIT I go home for my leave and uh First thing my mom tells me, hey, you know, in two days, you're going to Senator uh, Congressman so-and-so's office for an interview to to go to West Point. So, I, so oh, OK, <laughs> I had no clue. So I'm sitting there uh, at Congressman Markey's uh, office and, uh, and now I have a nomination to West Point and And I don't know how it happened. So it was kind of like I uh, had, a, had a momentum of its own Were, were your parents your parents didn't
0: don't seem like they were connected, but they must have been a little bit
1: no no just my mom was very forceful so i guess she got in with uh whoever runs congressman Markey's office and uh convinced her that i needed an interview so that's and, how it and
0: so out. and where's the prep school
1: uh the prep school is in new jersey I, I didn't end up going to the prep school that's how the if you that's how the army wanted to send me to say you can apply to the prep school we'll send you as a private you go there for a year and then you go to west point but uh i, I didn't take him up on that offer but like i said i told my mom about it and uh so she got me in the normal route through a congressional, you know, appointment.
0: Uh, so the prep school route would have just been pure army. You didn't need to have a legislator involved. No, that kind of thing. no, you just you supply and they accept you there and uh, and go for a year. I mean, I I took the ASVAB too, Bill, and nobody came to me and said, "Hey, do you want to go to West Point?" <laughs> <laughs> oh, it must
1: have been must go in cycles or something like that. <laughs> yeah. All right, so you're you
0: go to West Point and. Uh, I mean, you'd already been through basic, and and being uh, first year at West Point, I, I imagine there's some similarities to basic, but they're also it's also very different because it's a it's an institution of higher learning. Talk talk to me about the first uh, I don't know a few days, couple of weeks of being at West Point.
1: Well, the first uh, first summer you're there, it's like a, they they call it beast. It's a cadet basic training, so it's taking all these high school majority of these high school kids in and doing what I did a basic training and them in the army, let them know how to. How to be a soldier and all the basic skills like that. So I already done that. So the first summer was, you know, I won't say it was easy, but it was uh it wasn't stressful for me. I mean, it's it still a hard summer. But um, you know, I was there and there's some other people that had some prior, you know, military experience uh there also. So we were kind of like um we were there to help the younger kids, uh just coming out of high school, kind of ease through into that that transition into the army. So so that's, yeah. that's why the summer was good for me. I was able to help other folks and wasn't very stressful. And I had a pretty good time, actually. You were 19 at the time, 20? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, so I had a year ahead of these guys. But, you know, it was all active duty Army time. So, um, you know, it didn't didn't make me uh, more apt for them to succeed at West Point, but it helped me help them that first summer to get that transition through before the academic year started. And that's when they started overtaking me and the academics, you know, because
0: <laughs> a little
1: my first year was a little rough there. All
0: right. So so once the school year started, uh what were some of your memories of uh the first few months?
1: Uh well, you know, was, I mean Army football is real big up at up at West Point. So and, and, and it so happened that year was their first year, they were they were awesome. I mean, up to that point they were terrible, but the year I was a, a plebe. Uh, they, they went like eight and three, went to beat Navy, went to a bowl, won their first bowl. So I say I have to say this. When, when Army's winning, the life of a plebe is easy that that fall semester because, uh, you know, they'll win the game and, uh, you know, all the restrictions that plebes have uh, will get reduced a little bit because everyone's happy because the Army won, Army football won. So it was a, it was a good first semester as uh, having the team winning and uh, it kind of made it easy on us, a little easier on us. So that was fun. And then I was from Boston, so it was only four hours away. And, you know, there was six of us in my company, all from Boston. So um, when we got some weekends off, we'd just cruise up to Boston and uh, we'd bring a carload of two or folks to my house or a friend's house. And so it was pretty easy uh, that way also, kind of get a release from school.
0: And you're still uh, tight with some of the guys in your company? Oh, absolutely. yeah,
1: yep, sure am. Yeah. I was talking to one today and, uh, you know, you, you get – Yeah, pretty tight one. we have zoom meetings once a once a month usually and uh some of the guys in my company once from boston so um and then you know we'll we'll be we're always texting on the uh the past games and the bruins games and that kind of stuff
0: that's really cool uh what was it like eating a meal as a plebe
1: yeah uh you know that was probably not the most enjoyable experience because uh you're there you're you're at a table of ten uh there's three plebes on one of the end at the one end of the table, and they were charged all the duties of the table. So there's a gunner, there's a a beverage corporal, and a dessert corporal, I think. But uh, everyone had their own duties, and uh, you had to memorize. Uh, so there's 10 people at the table, three of plebes and the seven upperclassmen. So you had to memorize all the seven upperclassmen's uh, uh, menu desires, what they liked, what kind of beverages they liked, uh, this kind of stuff, whether they had dessert or not. And um, you had to execute. The duties at the table. In addition, try to get your own food in, which usually is the last priority. So you're pretty hungry because uh, you almost never finish the meal because you had to do the duties at the table first. You're there for like uh, fifteen to twenty minutes, and then uh, then when it's time to leave, the bell goes off. Everybody leaves the table, and your child's still left on the table. So it's uh, it's it's pretty interesting. If you're, on a, if you're a varsity sports player. All those plebes sat at their own varsity team tables, like the football players sat at football tables. You know, the basketball players sat at the basketball tables. They didn't have to do those duties or very, very limited duties. So they 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 ate well because, of course, you want your football players not to go starving at their uh, at their meal time. So, I was not on a varsity team, so me and the rest of the majority of my plead, uh classmates had to take care of the duties
0: at the tables. So you're you're you have those duties three meals a day.
1: Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Back yeah, then, anyways, I think it's changed a bit now. But yeah, it was three meals a day, except the weekends. Weekends you you had chow on your own, so it was just the the five duty the five uh, you know, school days. And it was the same ten at the table. Yeah, I think you rotated like every four or six weeks. So every four or six weeks, you got a new table, and you had to memorize <laughs> all the new uh, uh, preferences of all the upperclassmen. So it was this when they changed tables, it was a little stressful for a week or two.
0: Yeah, I bet. Uh so on on a, on a Tuesday in the middle of the fall semester, at what point and after the, the, the school day is done, do you have time where you can study or is it pretty chaotic
1: all day long? Uh your day's pretty full all day up until uh after dinner time because uh after after school ended, whatever that was, 15 or three three or four o'clock, you either had uh intramural sports or you had drill. When you had, when I mean drill anybody's been to West Point, you can go up there as a tourist and see the big cadet parades and those kinds of things that happen every week on on the weekends. What well, we had to practice those twice a week during the week. So after yeah. our studies were done, four o'clock will be on a drill field practicing our parades for the great American public that was coming Saturday. Um, but after dinner time, like from from seven o'clock on to uh, 1130 was your time to study so that nobody really messed with you in the evenings. Well, it just stay in your room. If you're outside of your room, you're a free game. But uh, there was no duties or anything like that, so that was just study time.
0: All right, so you survived your
1: your first year. Yeah, yeah, no problems. Yeah,
0: and, and uh, when you broke out, was that anything to talk about there?
1: What uh, a- after uh, the plebe year?
0: Yeah. How how did you go from plebe to uh, whatever the next phase is? What do you call the next? Yeah, next next,
1: phase? Uh, next one's yearling as a, as a sophomore. Uh, yeah, like at the end of plebe year, there's a big ceremony where you become uh, welcome to the Corps, and uh, and then you go on, on summer vacation or, or whatever. So that that's a pretty smooth transition. And um, and then, uh, you know, we had our cadet basic training the first summer. The second summer, you stay at West Point, and you do your cadet field training, and that's where you do more um, specialized military training. All the branches, uh, you know, you go to Fort Knox for a week to learn about tanks. There used to be a Fort Knox. You do all your kind of combat training that second summer. So that's a pretty good summer. Uh, that's with all your classmates. Uh, you know, it was it's pretty intense. But it's uh, that's where people start learning to feel what they want to do in the army, as far as a branch goes, those types of things.
0: And uh, so the process to figure out what you were going to do after West Point, did you have a top ten list for MOSs?
1: Yeah, when you uh, when you're a senior, uh, at some point in time, uh, you, you, there's two two significant times you one you choose your branch and then you choose your assignment and uh you go to this large auditorium with all your classmates and it's done by class rank so uh you sit in an auditorium so your number one academically class ranked guy gets his first choice of branch and it just goes all the way down to number 1000 and uh and same and same for for duty assignments it's a little more stressful with duty assignments because uh, you know choosing a branch most people get what they want or first or second choice when it comes to assignment times, if you at the bottom of the list of the class, you might, not have, you might be going to Fort Polk, Louisiana, or, or <laughs> you know, those types of places. Uh,
0: yeah, I mean, you, you and I, uh, and you know better than I do because you were active duty for a long time. Uh, most Army posts are not places the average citizen wants to go to anyway. Right. But, right. With, but within that landscape,
1: there, there are certainly worse places to go than uh, others. There are bar- better ones than others. Yeah, like places like uh, Fort Carson, Colorado, or Hawaii are certainly uh, ranked a little higher than uh, Fort Poop, Louisiana, or, or Fort Knox, Kentucky.
0: Yeah, I you've been to Schofield Barracks?
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah.
0: So I I've, I only went there for a couple of weeks, but I'm like, only the army finds the armpit of Oahu. What's <laughs> <laughs> an army post there?
1: That's right. That's right. Yeah, it's probably not the best part of the island, but you are in Hawaii, so that kind of balances out. But yeah, you're right, you're right, Chris. For for sure.
0: Yeah, when you have some free time, you're you're not far from a beach, for sure. That's right.
1: That's right. Michael, what was your first assignment? Uh, first assignment was in Germany, so I was fortunate enough. I was high enough to get to Germany. I didn't get. I wasn't high enough to get the place I wanted to go in Germany, but I did get make that threshold to go to Germany with first assignment. So it's pretty interesting back then. That was when you know, the Cold War was still on, 1988. Um, so, a lot of great experiences over there, a different army. Uh, everything was focused on, <laughs> well, everything comes around, goes around, I guess. We were just focused on the, the, the Russian horde coming across to fold the gap. And, and now they're, they're doing it again. So, it's it's pretty interesting just to kind of see how things play out. Uh, but it was a good time to be in Germany at the time. It was like 250,000 soldiers in Germany, it was two corps, four divisions. So, it was like, uh, you know, if you lot, it, a good chance of going to Germany with, with all your your peers and all your friends. So it was was a good time.
0: Yeah. And our presence before the latest shenanigans with Russia and Ukraine, uh, there weren't nearly as many. uh, I mean, what's what's the personnel down
1: to now? Maybe a division, a couple brigades? A couple brigades. Yeah. That's uh, maybe 40,000 maybe or something like that before we started sending troops over there. Yeah. Yeah, So
0: so 20% of what it was back in the late 80s.
1: Yeah, well after the wall came down and you know we divested our, our our forces over there for other reasons I guess.
0: But it was pretty did interesting
1: you- uh I, I was there when the the wall did come down in 1989 uh you know, talked about the full the gap. That's kind of the geographic place in central Europe that the Russians uh, the Soviets were going to come forward and across and take over the rest of Europe. So so our our our, our wartime mission was to defend that full the gap. I was 3rd Armored Division. And um, we happened to be up there doing a, my company was up there doing a training exercise that week in the Fold the Gap when the wall came down. So we're up there with our, you know, our CVs, our combat engineer vehicles, you know those, right? Sure. But they're, they're, they're basically an M60 tank. They look like tanks. So that's, so we had these tanks up there on the, in the Fold the Gap doing some training exercises. And the wall came down like on a Tuesday and all these East Germans are coming across the border and they're coming into East, they're coming into West Germany. And it coming right through our train where we were training at the fold the gap. So so we got this the way these poliz I come up to us and then we had uh some State Department officials come up and said, take your tanks, put them in the woods so nobody can see them, because I guess all these Germans thought our engineering company was there to stop them. They saw they <laughs> saw US Army tanks uh, out in the field and and they're all wondering that you know that what what they thought was freedom isn't freedom that we're gonna turn them around. So we had to hide, hide our tanks for like three days in the woods. So nobody could see him and kind of discreetly bring him back to the rear when we could. It was pretty interesting.
0: Yeah, I mean, uh, nothing like it in the history of uh, America anyway.
1: Yeah, that's true. That's true. So it was an interesting time, that's for sure.
0: Yeah, that, that CEV looked like a tank, except it didn't have the uh, the tube. It had, what, blades on the front of it? or did it, it had a blade what, what, on the front, it front and it
1: had a, sh- a short gun. that was about three feet long on the, on the front.
0: Yeah. From it, distance, it looked, it looked, distance like, it looked long, like a tank. Yeah. It looked like the run of the litter with the, uh, the gun up top.
1: That's right. That's right.
0: Yeah. Uh, you had to love Germany back then, right? Yeah. That would be amazing.
1: Yeah. We're, you know, all, like I said, a lot of my friends were there with me and, uh, so did a lot of traveling did a lot of skiing in the wintertime down in the, you know Austria, Switzerland, the Alps. And, uh, it was a lot of fun. Family came over to visit. So that was always a great time and show them around for a week or so. Um, You know, driving around in Europe is is easy. You can go from Germany to England to France within, you know, four or five-hour drive. So you see a lot of stuff in that.
0: It was good. Did did the Autobahn scare the hell out of you the first time you drove on it?
1: Uh, Not too much. You know, I was driving, and I had a Bronco 2 over there, so I was maxing out about 80 miles an hour. So I I constantly lived in the right-hand lane. So (laughs) I didn't have to worry about, you know, being scared in the passing lane because I could never go over there with my car.
0: Yeah, I, I my wife and I went over there about 3 years ago and we were on part of the autobahn that was only 3 lanes. The right lane's going maybe 70 to 80, the middle lane's going I, I don't know, 100-ish, maybe 110, and then the left right. lane is doing what I I had never seen before. Right. They're going right. unbelievably fast and they've been doing it that way for decades.
1: Oh yeah, 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 you don't want to you want to pull out in that left lane, that's for sure. Unless you get some power on you, so you-
0: yeah. You, Bronco two is not going to uh, give you any confidence to go in the left way. That's that's sure. right. So when you went over there in 88, had you seen the movie stripes? Oh, absolutely. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Urban so, assault vehicle, man. That was my Bronco two. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> uh, how,
0: how much of that movie uh, was realistic in, in your estimation?
1: <laughs> uh, I don't know. Not, not, not too much. I mean, uh, you Know, um, having a couple of privates stealing a uh, high, high high classified piece of equipment called the urban assault vehicle is probably not too realistic, but um, yeah, so so but it was a, it gave some good context of being a being a private at the time or or when I was a lieutenant knowing what privates are thinking about and those types of things, getting inside their mind a little bit,
0: yeah. Uh, what was your experience as a second lieutenant like?
1: I was great, I mean, uh, you know, we um, you know. I had been a private before, so it kind of helped me out a little bit to understand, you know, the soldiers in my platoon when I was a, when I was a platoon leader. So I built up pretty good rapport quick, made best friends with my platoon sergeant, which uh, is a smart thing to do. We had a great platoon sergeant, a couple great platoon sergeants. Uh, let him pretty much run the platoon as far as the soldiers go. But having that background as as an enlisted man kind of helped me a little bit with my first group of uh, uh, platoon, platoon members. Plus, you know, when I was there as a platoon leader, we went to Desert Storm, Desert Shield. So that was a great, uh, you know, the rapport I built up for a year or so with my platoon. Certainly paid dividends when we went to, to do that operation in Iraq, uh, Desert Storm. So that worked out pretty well. Great, when, Pretty good uh, experience. When did you head over there? To... We went over there uh, 20 December 1990, man, right before Christmas. Got alerted uh, less than 30 days prior, you know, we, we you know, there was a buildup in, in, Kuwait for Desert, Storm, Desert Shield, uh, we didn't think anybody from Europe was going over there until uh, November. And they say hey, two more divisions are going from Europe. So we had about 30 days to pack our stuff up and get it on a boat and head over overseas. So it was, it was a lot of – didn't have a lot of time to think about it, which was kind of a good thing. We just executed so it. So it was a pretty good experience as far as that goes. So you were a combat engineer, platoon leader
0: – in an armor unit, what was, what did your uh, platoon look like?
1: Uh, I was, uh, I was the first lieutenant, so I was a assault and barrier platoon leader, uh, which you probably know what that is, but that, that's kind of, had the CEVs, combat engineer vehicles, had assault bridging, uh, had some, had some uh, armored bulldozers. Uh, long story short, our job was to, to breach any obstacles that were in front of the tank units. So we did that. And, yep. and so my platoon kind of built, kind of grew to about 70 Actually, that was a, a platoon of 70. It was my base platoon. And I had two line platoons with me also as a breaching force uh, for any wow. obstacles we might have encountered um, in front of the in front of the tank brigade. You, So you, you were the guy in charge. So the
0: first Lieutenant A and B platoon leader ended up being plussed up when you were actually doing breaching.
1: We did for this mission. Yeah, absolutely. Got two, uh, two line platoons with me and and some more class 60 CEVs with, uh, you know, they, 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 they put together this device called the mine rake real quick to help, uh, put on these, put on these combat engineer vehicles, help breach through minefields. It was kind of a, uh, jerry-rigged, uh, solution that was put together in about two months, but I had four of those also. So, um, you know, we expected to have large minefields in front of us and, uh, so we kind of outfitted the organization to, to handle that threat, along with a bunch of mit, mit licks, Uh mine-clearing line charges, explosive 2,000-pound explosive demolition lines that blew up a lane through a minefield. So we had several of those in the platoon also. So did you guys encounter minefields? No, no. I mean, you know, it, you know as, as the tactics went for the operation, uh, you know, the U.S. forces did that left hook around, uh, around the end of Kuwait, so there was no obstacles out that way. I mean, the only people really – counter obstacles with the Marines and were kind of going right up the middle in, in Kuwait, but our armor divisions went around to the left and, uh, kind of do my field. So didn't execute.
0: Uh, yeah. And it sounds like you didn't have to fire any miklicks either.
1: Nope. Nope. Didn't we did fire them after the, uh, <laughs> after hostilities were over when we, uh, you know, we, 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 we piled up and U you know, S forces consolidated all the Iraqi ammunition and, uh, Artillery rounds, all these uh, ammo dumps that the Iraqis had. So we ended up using the Mikliks. You know, they're, they're 100 meters long. It's just a 100 meter long uh, demolition charge. We just wrapped those around the uh, the piles of Iraqi munitions. And that's how we got rid of Iraqi munitions. just just kind of exploded the Mikliks to take out the whole pile. What, what was the safe distance for well, that? It was kind of, uh it was kind of do it by your pants we didn't really have any calculations because it wasn't in the tactics manual but uh we learned real quick uh the safe distance we thought was supposed to be we should have went back about another 500 meters so <laughs> this was pretty intense so we got rid of our mclicks that way uh
0: what, what's your guess on how many pounds uh of stuff you were blowing up Well,
1: oh, i mean these, these are mountains of ammunition rounds. so you know the, the, the mclick itself was two thousand pounds which was you know who knows? I mean, there's, there's, I'm sure there was tons and tons of, uh, of demolitions and rounds and those kinds of things that were blowing up. So we, we backed off quite a bit. The, the safe distance
0: was probably something like uh Saudi Arabia, maybe.
1: Maybe. Uh, I will tell you this. After about two days of the Army engineers doing that, uh they, they, they ceased work at the operations and, and took that mission away from the combat engineers and gave it to EOD because hmm. we getting a little out of hand with it. So.
0: Engineers, once they get a taste of uh, explosions, tend to go a little nuts.
1: That's right. Well, you know we have this calculation uh, constant we use, or it's it's P for plenty. Every calculation you do, you multiply it by P. So P for plenty, plus it up.
0: Yeah, I I think the one of the base calculations is P equals D squared over forty diameter of like a tree. That was one of the first things you learned. And first E seven, I ran into since you forget that stuff. P equals plenty. (laughs)
1: That's right. That's right. The more,
0: the better. Uh, uh, yeah, and so you were in a combat zone. the The ground war lasted for uh, roughly four days. At, at any point, did you feel like? Well, I guess before hostilities started or before the uh, advance across the 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 border, there, you guys were worried about uh, chemical weapons, biological oh, yeah. weapons.
1: Yeah, it's, it, uh, it's it, mainly it, chemical weapons. Yeah. Maybe some nerve so agent uh, use. Um, yeah, so you know, uh, we had to take all these, uh, you know, vaccinations, all these uh, these pills to prevent uh, any uh, nerve agent uh, ingestion, those types of things. Uh, you know, before the hostilities started, we finally got out to our tactical assembly area when we got our classified briefs of the enemy. It was pretty uh, eye opening because uh, you know, you know, when you look at a tactical map, uh, you got the blue blue squares that are the friendly forces. Yeah, the red squares of the enemy forces. Well, when I first saw the classified uh secret map when I got out to the assembly area, it was just full of red. I mean, it was just there was a line <laughs> there, had a couple of blues representing our units, and then it was just solid red on top of us. So it was, I mean, people were a little concerned, uh prior hostilities because there was a lot of units out there. Uh,
0: apparently P equals plenty for uh Intel too.
1: I know, right? So, but um it, so it was a little concerning. And, you know, you know, engineers uh, life expectancy is supposed to be what, 50 percent if you go into the breach. That's the so math was, we use. Yeah, yeah we're looking little concerned. But, you know, at, you know, once once we saw that the uh, the preparations were being made as far as the air war and all that stuff, uh, we knew real quick that we weren't going to have that much of a hard time on the ground with uh, the armor forces.
0: When did you not worry about uh, biological or chemical
1: Pretty much when uh when when we started rolling off the ground war uh because we knew everything was kind of taken off in the air air you know was was taking all the key combat forces in front of us, I was still attacked in mop gear but, you know intel quickly came back to us, uh, within you know the first day or so that that's probably not going to be an issue for us.
0: Were you in what mop two when you
1: guys left? Yeah, yeah, yeah yeah that's it mop two so yeah you know, your, your outer garments were on and you had your mask at the ready.
0: And this was uh, late January, early February that year. But it's so it's not desert summertime hot, but it's it's not cold there either.
1: Yeah, no, it wasn't. I wasn't. Uh, no, not at all. I mean, as a matter of fact, we had some uh, some weird weather. It was raining for a couple of days uh, right mm. prior to the attack, so it was it was, it was kind of sloppy, muddy out there for a little bit. So dried up pretty quick. But uh, it was kind of interesting weather weather patterns they had at that time. Yeah, it wasn't it wasn't smoking hot like it'd be like. In, April,
0: May, or June. Yeah, you and I went back to Iraq uh, years later, and I think I remember it raining twice while yeah, we that's were right. there.
1: I think we had a day in snow, didn't it? One time. That was the day I went on R and missed that. Oh, is that right? Yeah, yeah, like first snow in like whatever decades.
0: Yeah, when I when I got back, somebody's like, "Yeah, it snowed uh, the day you left." I'm like, "Are you kidding me?" I'm like, "How often does that happen?" They're like, "Apparently, once every hundred years."
1: <laughs> that's it. Well it was a good sign is send you uh, home for some vacations. that was good. yeah, it was definitely absolutely
0: good. all right, so were you how long were you in armor units?
1: I was in that army for three years and then came back to uh, rotated back to the states and went to Fort Bragg to an airborne unit, which something I totally didn't want to do, but that's what my assignment officer sent me because uh, he said that's where I could send you and your your newly uh, uh, your new spouse we can send you to Fort Bragg. no problem so, so that's where we ended up going.
0: And uh, your commitment out of West Point was what? Five years? Yes. Six years? Yeah, five? five years. Yeah. And so you go, you go to brag, and you're like, "Okay, are you thinking lifer at that point? Or Are you thinking I'll just do my five and be done?"
1: Uh, I didn't really put a lot of thought into it. I figured we'll do this this assignment is here and see how it goes. And uh, it was a pretty good assignment. We we're there for four years and uh, liked what I was doing, so I just stayed in for another assignment. And then I'll <laughs> we'll be old, uh, thirty years later, and career got a career
0: were you, I, I, I may have this wrong was it the 37th engineer battalion for the 18th airborne Corps?
1: yeah that's correct yeah you got that right how do you remember that wow
0: i pulled that out of the way back machine
1: that that's exactly right
0: and the what the 37th what did what did that look like just at a high level for the casual listener
1: it's a it's a combat engineer unit that has uh you know company of combat uh, engineers that that do breaching breaching obstacles mm-hmm. It also has a level of heavy equipment that does uh, airfield repair and seizure. So the main mission of that battalion is a, to jump into a combat area where, you know, the airfield has been damaged, jump in, jump, airdrop the bulldozers and know the heavy equipment, fix the airfields to to bring in fall on forces. That's one of their main combat missions as an airborne engineer battalion. It's pretty cool stuff, right? Yeah, it's fun. I mean, uh, yeah, absolutely. I mean, it's, it's uh, jumping out of a plane three or four times a month, which is kind of fun as a young guy. I don't know about being an older person doing that, but it was good. A lot of camaraderie there, a great, great organization, great leaders there. And, uh, you know, we, we had a pretty good, you know, living at Fayetteville wasn't, wasn't the best experience for our family. But uh, <laughs> uh, being in that unit at Fort Bragg was, was a pretty good experience.
0: Yeah, I, uh, by the way, I was in uh, an A&B platoon as a platoon leader in, in the Fredericksburg unit, actually. And I think when I was the platoon leader, it it went from A&B to A&O. Yeah, yeah.
1: yeah. Plus well, but- it wasn't, the 37th was A&O also because it's lighter. But I think Assault and Barrier probably stayed with the heavy units, the tank units. Ah! a and O, I think, was uh, with the light engineers.
0: Then maybe I'm confusing the A&B part. Then maybe it was A&O the entire time because we were... Light engineers out of Fredericksburg. Yeah. Yeah. Maybe I looked at the wrong manual one day and and thought we
1: were,
0: (laughs) as a second lieutenant, I really didn't know what I was doing for the first uh, year or so.
1: Right. Well, 37th mission is similar to what the the 229th was back then, same kind of structure.
0: Yeah. That's, that's really cool. By the way, sorry to go back to Dead Storm real quickly. Which Corps were you part of?
1: I were in Seventh Corps, Third Armored Division. So,
0: yeah. Okay. Yeah. Uh, Was that the proudest? point in your uh, military career you think
1: well it was uh, certainly a highlight uh, as far as uh the camaraderie with the organization we had there That great uh, great soldiers in that platoon i was in but even the whole battalion uh, you know all, all my buddies were over in the other units it, w- it was pretty good i mean and then you know you're executing what you're training for i mean uh we, we trained for a year or two years plus in europe uh to fight the army units of the Soviet Union. So we went to the desert and fought the army units of Iraq. So it was was kind of a culmination, everything we trained for as far as uh, combat operations go at the the mechanized level. So it was pretty good uh, experience. My first, you know, three years in the army as a lieutenant. Yeah. And then at Bragg, you were there for another three year assignment? Uh, Almost four years. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Wow. Okay. And so now you're you're coming up on seven years. You're like, I'm probably going to keep going. Till they tell me i can't go anymore
1: yeah yeah well at that point you know family's getting i got two uh we have two children and uh so family concerns come in a little bit you know we did one more assignment to uh, uh fort belvoir uh to prime power of its engineer battalion there and then uh kind of learned about the national guard and the uh full-time opportunities uh that the guard had back then it was, it was a pretty good uh it was a pretty good deal you, know, you could join the guard you could stay full-time and you could stay in the same location if you wanted to. So you we know, were at Belvoir, our last active duty assignment. We kind of liked it there. I found out I could get a full-time National Guard job near Belvoir at the National Guard headquarters. So, uh, you know, family reasons uh, and other things. We, we made the transition there. So and it worked out great. Had a great, you know, 12 years, 10, 12 years in the active Army. And then uh, the rest of my uh, career, almost 20 years with the National Guard, which was awesome.
0: Yeah, you and I met, I guess, when you were around year 13 or
1: 14 or 12 yeah, even? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I was uh, had a tour at the 29th infantry Division at in Fort Belvoir, and then I came down to your organization in Fredericksburg. That's when we started working together. And you came down as the XO? Yeah, yep. Yeah. yeah,
0: you you were the OIC, full-time OIC, and you were the XO. Yes, uh,
1: placed Eric Barr. <laughs> uh
0: yeah. I, I've funny, you mentioned Eric Barr's name. I, I, when I think of Eric Barr, I think of uh, all we thought about was recruiting back then. Yeah. We we would have countless hours spent in small rooms talking about how to recruit kids.
1: Yeah, that's true. That was a new thing for me. I just come off active duty and uh, yeah, you don't recruit when you're an active duty person. So going to 29th ninth uh, engineers and learning, we had to do all this recruiting stuff in our, in our evenings and, I was a little
0: resistant. Uh, it was new for me and I'd been in the guard at that point, I I guess nine years or so. And I, yeah, I thought we should have been out in the field training the entire time.
1: Right. Right. Yeah. I was not. We did did do a lot of good training down there. That's absolutely sure.
0: I, I think it was your first annual training might've been your second one as battalion commander. I was the three and, uh, I'll never forget this story. You may not remember it as well as I do, but I, I had it in my brain that I was not going to shower the entire time we were in the field. Oh, yeah, I remember.
1: Yeah, yeah.
0: And so people started going in to get showers after like three or four days, and you could tell when somebody was showered. Like it was a very strong. Uh, oh, yeah. I know where ghost story
1: is going. <laughs> Go ahead. Finish up. <laughs> and
0: so I I don't know. I My memory not great, but it's day 11, maybe day 12, and uh, Sergeant Major uh, Holcomb comes up to me. and said, "Hey, sir, let's go take a ride." <laughs> I'm like, where are we go? Come on, Sergeant Major. "I ah, don't worry about it. You'll you'll see when we get there." He goes, "Bring your uh, bring your ruck with you." And so I <laughs> brought my ruck. We we hop in a Humvee and we ended up over at RTI in one of those old buildings. And uh, I said, "What do we do?" Sergeant Major. He goes, uh, "Dying commander said you need to
1: take a shower." <laughs> oh yeah, oh yeah. We, so we, we get- that's what we're doing. Yeah, he, he, he helped me off for a couple of days because, you know, I wanted to get you out there a couple of days earlier, but Sergeant Major said, hey, take it easy a little bit. But, yeah, I remember that well, man. It was it was, it was was a a mission essential task to get that done. Just for well, the rest of the yeah, if
0: you're the last guy who hasn't showered, people can smell you from half a mile away.
1: <laughs> That's right. It's pretty tight quarters.
0: Yes. Yeah, when you're in the talk, it's definitely tight quarters. I didn't realize that uh, Sergeant Major held you off a couple of days.
1: He did a little bit, yeah. Yeah, he did a little bit. <laughs> Sorry, man. You got to do something about it. But, ah, he's all right. So,
0: <laughs> those are some of the my fondest memories of being in the guard. Was uh, those, I guess we were together, what, a couple of years?
1: Yeah, in 29th. Yeah. And then when yeah. he ended up getting together at the brigade headquarters in Stanton, that was a good deal. Going to Florida. Yeah. Down so, all right, so,
0: you, you moved, you were living near Belvoir when you were up there when you first
1: came to the guard. Did you move yeah. to Fredericksburg too? No, no, we did. I just commuted to Fredericksburg, which wasn't a was less than an hour commute. So uh, that worked out well. And then I we moved, got assigned to Stanton. That's when we moved to Stanton.
0: Yeah. And that's a, that's a pretty big uh, move. How old were your kids when you moved to Stanton?
1: Oh, they were uh, like uh, eight and 10, seven and 10, okay. maybe. Yeah. Yeah.
0: So not super formative years. It wasn't like you are pulling them out in the middle of 10th grade or something.
1: No, I was, we we're about right on that cusp there. So they kind of, their formative years were in Stanton, so they all their friends are from you know, cause we spent twelve years there. So they, they pretty much uh, boy went to high school there and all the rest of the grammar school. So that's where they got all their friends. Still have a few friends from from here when they were younger, but most of all their friends are when they're growing up in Stanton. Yeah, and Stanton's
0: not DC Metro, right? It's a it's a pretty different place.
1: Oh yeah, a lot different from uh, Northern Virginia, that's for sure. Yeah, I went there kicking and screaming. I mean, I, you know. You know, General Phillips, like, hey, uh, I need you in Stanton. So I, well, I, he's like, uh, so you need me there 12 months from now? He goes, no, I need you there, like, next month. So, so we moved there. We weren't too happy about it. But ended up we loved li- living in Stanton once we got down there. It was, it was a great, great, great experience. Well, the organization was good, but it was great family experience also being down there.
0: Yeah, a lot, a lot of really so- uh, solid salt of the earth kind of folks. Community very strong. Fam- family really matters in, the, in that community there. Sure. Yeah, uh, yeah, and, and they're pretty tight. They, you're you're a guy from Boston. Did you, did you feel like you were fitting in pretty quickly? No, they, you, they knew you're an army guy, and so yeah,
1: he's an army guy. He's good. Well, that, that's uh, yes and no. I mean, when you go to doesn't matter where you're from. If you're if you're not from Stanton, you move to Stanton. You're an outsider. It doesn't matter. I mean, we were there 12 years, and we're still considered an outsider. 12 years when we left, which is fine. I mean, but they, I mean, they. Tr- they don't treat you bad or anything like that, but you definitely have a feel that, uh, you know, you're not a true stamp person.
0: Well, I, it's funny. It, it's people that live in or near mountains or people that live in or near water, like uh, rivers or, or lakes or like near the Chesapeake Bay. Uh, I, I t- was talking to a guy who I asked him where he's from. And he said, well, I, I'm from, I was born in a named a place that wasn't in the County we were in. I said, but you're from here. You've been here for, most of your life. And he said, yeah, but I, people that are actually from here don't consider me from here. And I said, but you've been here five decades. He goes, man, let me tell you a story. I was uh, at a funeral the other day. The, the The deceased was 88 years old. He had moved here. His family moved here when he was one. And they, at his funeral, they were saying he wasn't from here.
1: Oh, man. Yeah, I, I can relate to that. That's for darn sure. That's, that's
0: all right. <laughs> oh, man. All right. Fondest memory in, in the in the garden.
1: Uh, shoot, man, that, that's that's a lot of a lot of time well, to think about. Either fondest memory or favorite assignment. Yeah, I think uh, being at the uh, the BCT and the brigade headquarters when we deployed to Iraq is probably my, my favorite assignment. Uh, we did some great great things over there. We had a very uh, diverse mission, and uh, the and our organization we put a lot of people together with diverse background and went over there and, and knocked it out. I think we did great. Uh, we definitely uh, benefit those people we serve with over there, different organizations. And uh, so that was a very, very, very great experience as far as, uh, you know, really enjoying what you're doing. So we did our mission over there. And so that's very memorable. But all my assignments in the Virginia Guard have been really good. Even, you know, I was uh, somehow as an infantry officer, I was assigned to be the personnel officer for the Virginia Guard for two years, the G1. And uh, went kicking and screaming there also. Uh, But that ended up being a a pretty good experience uh, professionally for me also. I mean, I worked with some great people, uh, people I hadn't worked with before, being an infantry officer and then going to a G1 staff, a whole bunch of different types of folks I've never worked with before. But that that worked out pretty well. I built a pretty solid team there. We're helping everyone else in the Guard. So it ended up being a pretty good assignment uh, being the G1, even though I hated going down there.
0: Well, well, you hated going down there, one, because the kind of work is more administrative and you're – you realize the value of administrative work, but it's not something you you're like, oh yeah, sign me up, let me do that for the rest of my life kind of thing. But it, based on what you're doing now, it, it, I'm sure it helped you quite a bit.
1: It did, it did, yeah. I'm, I'm working with uh, personnel with the army now as, as a retired person, and yeah, that 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 assignment I think got me this job, so it worked out pretty well. Uh, no, that's
0: fantastic! And by the way, you saying that your uh, your favorite assignment was when you deployed overseas, you hit it at the heart of, of why you serve why i serve it's it's to go over and do what you need to do when uh maybe others aren't so willing to do it uh you you, you train for a reason and if you don't get that reason not that we want wars to happen i think you and i would say we would love it if wars never happen ever again but they do happen and uh folks have to serve and and
1: why not us right no you're exactly right i mean we uh yeah we 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 train for a reason and uh and certainly um you know, specifically for our deployment uh, to Iraq, I mean, we definitely filled a gap that wasn't, you know, there was there was a gap there that they needed an organization to, to come in with uh, that could be agile and, and kind of shift on the move. And that was us. And we filled an important gap there, both for, you know, a whole bunch of reasons, mainly for the security of that area we're in and and um, and um some other things to move the mission along. But, yeah, you're exactly right.
0: Yeah, I got to uh, who was the, the core commander when we were over there? Odierno, right? Yes, yeah I, yeah, I I saw him in the building we worked in, uh, coming around a corner, and he was he was giant, and, and I'm that's saying right. that as a six foot three, two. I probably weigh two fifty then, like I'm I'm a pretty big dude walking the earth, and he, I'm like that's a different species right there. He's a, <laughs> that's
1: right, I a big dude.
0: Yeah, and then uh, who was our three star the Marine? Gosh, I can't remember his name. General Paxton. I, I like that. I liked. He's him. a great. He's a great leader.
1: Yeah, I love that guy. I I got to brief him, and I'm like, this is the scariest, coolest thing ever. Right, a Marine three star man getting briefed by uh, an Army major uh, on how to how to secure his AO. Right, uh, I'm sure he he may
0: have fallen asleep during the brief, but uh, <laughs> well, and he was a Cornell grad. I mean, Cornell grad Marine three star general, and when. Uh, We did the brigade change command from uh, Colonel Phillips to Colonel Ortner. Now, both, uh, I guess they're both retired uh, geos. Yes. Yeah. Uh, But but I I was the, uh, I was the, basically the host for uh, the general. It was awesome. (laughs) And by awesome, he he was polite. He talked to me for a couple minutes. I said, what can I do for you, sir?
1: He goes, "Uh, escort my wife around. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. We brought him back for one of our annual musters and uh, he loved it because uh, he's from virginia and, and knew all about the uh, history of our or the 116th brigade the bedford boys uh and he just he just felt right at home that whole weekend that uh, he was with us
0: oh i guess he's retired he's got to be retired out of the uniform service at this point yeah yeah
1: yeah but he, he was a great leader i remember uh christmas day uh he, he, had, he had gotten real sick um when we were in iraq and uh so christmas day he's in the hospital and uh so Sergeant major holcomb i went over there and so where's the general at and because we expected him to be at this place where we're at for christmas uh during the day and found out he was in hospital so sergeant major holcomb and i went and visited him at the hospital man he was just beaming because no one had come to visit him yet that day so it's christmas and nobody's visiting you so here's two army guys coming over to, to visit a three-star marine and uh i think we I think we made his holiday even though he's he was he was flat out for a lot for a couple days with the sickness.
0: Yeah. 08 uh chief of staff over there. It's probably a pretty lonely job in a lot of ways. So I'm sure right, you right. definitely made his morning anyway.
1: Yeah, for sure. So yeah, he was a great leader. Really enjoyed working with him.
0: All right, cool. Uh Bill, let's let's do three things before we uh in end, end this. Predictions for the the four main Boston uh, sports teams for the upcoming seasons or in the celtics case um they're going to go to the playoffs but probably won't go to super far or do you do you really not care
1: well I'd be, I'd be surprised if they make it to the conference uh the finals um the celtics but they may they, they, they they've been kind of skips or frank this year at the beginning of the season especially so I've been falling a little bit here lately because they've been on a winning streak but uh I'll be surprised if they make it to the conference finals if they make it to the conference finals who knows but um uh, so I'll wait to see that. The Bruins are a little more faith in. They've been on a run here since uh the turn of the year here in January. They've been doing great. So I'm I'm pretty excited about their chances. Um, but we'll see. Hockey's a little fickle, you know. It's whoever the hot team is going in the playoffs, it's kind of the ones that do well. So the Bruins are hot right now, but the playoffs are a month away. So we'll see what happens. Uh Red Sox, uh, you know, they surprised me last year. Um, didn't expect them to make the playoffs last year and they made a run. Almost made it to the World Series at the end there. Uh, they can do the same this year if they can get a little more better pitching. Their pitching is a little suspect. You know, their ace uh, Sales is, is injured again. So, and their staff's getting old. So, I mean, they got all the hitting. They got every, all hit all the hitting they need. The pitching's a little suspect. So we'll see what happens with those guys. But that's a long season. You know, anything can happen with the, the Socks. Um, they always have some fight in them though. So I'm always confident at the end they're going to be somewhere in the playoffs. Hey, the hey before you go,
0: to the, hey, before you go to the Pats, did you see the video? I, it's, I'm sure it's on whatever social media. I, I guess it was a, a ceremony to celebrate Poppy getting uh, Hall of Fame in, induction. They announced that he was going to be inducted, and Pedroia was telling the story about him going up to a plate, and they announced him. Do you, have you seen this? I've not
1: seen that. No. Well, no. Oh, I, I don't want to ruin it for you. It's hilarious. No. I'll check it out. All right. Yeah. Those, those two guys are, uh, Victoria and Ortiz are like Mutt and Jeff, man. They're always like, uh, together all the time. So for, you know, un- un- to see them together, just, just seemed uncommon as far as, uh, they were best buddies, you know?
0: No, I, I think it's awesome. Well, you'll given that context, you'll especially love uh, that video.
1: All right. I'll check it out. Sounds good. Uh, Pat's not feeling too confident about the pats this year, but, uh, you know they haven't been done, they haven't been doing much in the uh, as far as acquiring new talent. We'll, we'll see. I love the quarterback. Got a big future there as long as they get him a couple more players that he can he can work with. Uh, plus the the rest of the AFC is getting freaking beefing up all over the place. So unbelievable, right? Yeah, yeah. I mean, you got you know Denver's uh, going to be tough this year. I mean uh, Kansas City's always uh, Cincinnati. So. It'll be tough, but, uh, you know, Buffalo, you got the Buffalo, San Diego, maybe even Las Vegas. Yeah. Well, I sent our boy over to Las Vegas, uh, uh, but you know, you get the Belichick factor here with the Pats, So he, he may have a couple of things still up his sleeve before the season starts, but he, yeah. Right. With the people they got now, I mean, it, it's going to be tough. You get a little more talent there.
0: Yeah. I think, I think you're probably as a patch fan looking at the next three, maybe even five years of the bills being the favorite to win the division at least going into the season.
1: Yeah, that's for sure. But, you know, I mean, I have my fill of Super Bowl uh, rings. You'll get there one day, maybe. What are you, one right now, one or two in Tampa Bay? That's funny. <laughs> that's right. Once you get, you know, six, seven, eight, it's like, well, you know, I'm okay if they don't win anymore, at least for the next couple <laughs> years. We'll see.
0: Yeah, I, I'd, I'd say you, you've lived a great sports life, given all the championships that have been won in Boston uh, the last 20 years.
1: Well, speak, you know, the, the, the one, uh, you know, the I don't get too upset about losing games anymore, but, you know, when the Pats lost that Super Bowl in 2008, uh, during that undefeated season, I was sitting in that green bean down there at the IZ and that, uh, sitting, you know, we we're, were in Iraq when that game was on. It's, you know, it's like, what, three in the morning or something out over there watching the Super Bowl. And uh, I'm sitting there, I'm like the only guy with a Pats fan on. For I mean, some reason, everybody hated the Pats that year, you know, they, they still do for some reason, but... I'm the only guy down here with a Pats shirt on. I know we're going to win the game. And then the end of the game was was rough, man. I got abused pretty bad. It's four in the morning. I'm, like, hanging there and just getting pummeled.
0: So, uh, I mean, look, most folks that if they're not from New England uh, and the fact that the Pats had already won, what, a couple Super Bowls at that point? Yeah. uh, If not three at that point. uh, People like the underdog typically – uh, there is such a thing, and you're not one of them. But there is such a thing as a mass hole too, and so <laughs> it gets associated with the bats. Um, right. Yeah, so I, I just I, real, I may have told you the story before, but Charlie Martin and I were roommates, as you know. and We were in our our chew watching because we were fortunate enough to have a TV where we slept, and uh, I think we got what like two channels if That's we right. were lucky. And uh, but the Super Bowl was on AFN, made sure that we, we were going to be able to watch Super Bowl, and when uh, Plaxico Burr scored that game-winning touchdown. Charlie and I were in our underwear, hugging each other, jumping <laughs> up and down.
1: Yeah, I bet. I bet. Man, oh, man.
0: Oh, man. I'll, I'll never forget that. And, and I, I didn't care whether the Giants won or not. I was just – I was pulling for
1: the underdog. Absolutely. Yeah, you reminded me pretty much every weekend uh, when we are over there. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, we weren't over there much longer. That we might have been
0: over there, maybe not just a few weeks after that Super Bowl, right? Yeah, we're rolling end uh, of February, I think. Right. Yeah, that's into right.
1: February, end of February. Yeah.
0: All right. Uh, second to last thing. Uh, this is a weird transition. It's it's weird every time, but it's something we've we've done with ninety uh, percent of our guests. You're a talk show host. One day only, one night only. You get to decide who your guests are going to be. Uh, one guest, female. Second guest male. Third guest can either be musical or comedic. So you can have you can pick a stand-up com- comedy person or you can pick a, uh, a musical group or a soloist. Uh, and they can be alive. they can be dead, they can be famous. they can be uh, people you know well. It can be a family member. It can be whatever you want it to be. Thought-provoking, fun, whatever. Who are your three guests?
1: All right. One, one uh, female, one male, and one uh, musical person or a comedian person. Yep. All right. Uh, let me think about it. two seconds here. Um, hmm.
0: Let's see. Abra- Abraham Lincoln's a popular answer, but I, I don't think you're going to say Abraham Lincoln.
1: Right, right. I'll start with males. I'll go with John Wayne, man. <laughs> interviewing him and uh, thinking about, you know, I like to watch a lot of John Wayne war movies, you know, back when I was younger, kind of kind of formulated my uh, idea of what a military person is when I was a kid, um, a young adult. So I'd interview John Wayne and see if uh, he's truly a, a military person like he personifies in his movies. Because uh, I don't know if that's the case or not. Uh, I,
0: I, my, my guess is maybe wasn't, but I, who, who wants to mess up that uh, belief? <laughs>
1: Right. Uh, female, uh, Jacqueline Kennedy Onassis. Oh, just want to see what her perception was, all that stuff, living with JFK, uh, what she knew, what she didn't know, um, you know, about his personal life and, uh, see how she uh, dealt with that. She probably gets some pretty good insight. Um, I'm sure she knew a lot more than, than, than people think she knew.
0: So wait a minute on your talk show, it's going to let, it's like a six hour format and you're going to spend five hours with Jackie. O.
1: Maybe, maybe if, if, you know, she wants to go that way, well, that, that'd be some pretty interesting stuff. Uh, and this get her perception, you know, and, you know, JFK dealt a lot of stuff uh, as, as a, as, you know, as a leader, get her perception as a family member, what he was going through, uh, uh, all those crises that he had in his life. All or right. Comedian or, or musical. Yeah. Musical. Uh, i go Eddie Murphy, man. One of my favorite comedians. One of the funniest dudes ever. That's right. I'd interview him and uh, and see you know, if he's truly uh, like that in, in his real life. The, 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 you know, the persona that he shows the world, is that truly Eddie Murphy?
0: I'd like to think it is, but yeah,
1: back to the John Wayne comment. Who knows? Who knows? Who knows? So that's my quick, uh, quick three right now. I'm sure I can think of some more if I have some time. I'd watch your talk show. That sounds yeah. entertaining to me. Sure, why not? A little historical right. perspective, uh, kind of uh, let the current generation know a little bit of what we went through when we were growing up. I like it. Sure. All right. Last last question.
0: Uh, tell me about your family.
1: Oh, family, your family. I, you know, family. I love my family. I mean, that's kind of what drives me right now. You know, and uh, what people always want to say what your obituary is going to say or what's going to be on your tombstone. And uh, just good father, good husband is what I, I want mine to say. I mean, that's what drives me and um, it's kind of driven me. You know, being in the Army, as you know, it, it takes a lot away from, you know, your family and those kinds of things. And they've been through it the whole time with me. And uh, so I'm really proud of what they, they did to support me. And I'm here to, to support uh, my kids, uh, everything they want to do and uh, to be a great husband. So um, great family. And now we're all together right here back in Northern Virginia. I spent a lot of time apart when we were down in Stanton. My kids were off at of school and living here and living there. I was Geo-batcheloring for several years, so uh, it's great now. We're, we're at a good place now. We'll see each other all the time, and it's pretty good.
0: Well, give us names and ages, but don't give us your wife's age, please.
1: Okay, my uh, wife, Rebecca. Uh, my, my son, Billy's uh 26. And my daughter, Rachel's 29
0: outstanding and what are your kids up to these days
1: well my son uh, works for adobe he works up here in northern virginia he went to virginia tech he got a uh a systems engineering degree uh and he, he's loving life right now um they're both working from home so that's that's pluses and minuses uh, but, but he lives in arlington uh loves it uh my daughter is a law librarian who lives up in dc with her fiance uh will be getting married next march uh she loves what she's doing um you know, and she's she's been doing a lot of teleworking also. So the past couple of years with all the teleworking, me, and my wife, Rebecca, and, and the kids, uh, we've seen a lot of them because uh, they rotate. They come down and spend a week with us and work from our house. One would come one week, one would come another. So definitely seen a lot of them the past couple of years, a lot more than we would have when we're back to normal. Everybody's, you know, off working in their offices.
0: Yeah, I mean, the pandemic had some benefits, right?
1: It did from that perspective, at least for for the Coffin family, that's for sure.
0: Yeah, all right. Uh, I'll, I'll end with this. Uh, I have I have a lot of memories of you, Bill. But uh, two of them I remember being in a. Uh, we were planning the next training year, and and I could I I'd, I'd been part of this process a few times, and we <laughs> we said all right, yeah, we we drill uh, the first weekend of every month, and you're like really. The first week in every month, regardless of what else might be going on in the world, you guys are always drill the first week of the month. Like, yeah, what's the problem with that? You're like, well, maybe there's some things that happen the first week of the month that you guys want to be a part of as as uh, sons, daughters, siblings, parents, whatever. And we're like, well, well, how do we figure that out? And you're like, well, we can pull out a calendar. <laughs> And, it's, and this is this is before Google was prevalent, right? And, and right we we and we ended up changing I don't know three or four weekends and I'm like that's maybe the best thing that's ever happened to me for the, my future planning of training years. I'm like yes, you don't have to be tied to some stupid habit that the unit formed <laughs> uh, many many years ago. and then the other one I I was the the training and ops guy uh, and uh, you would send out an email. <laughs> i have I have no idea what the topic was, but one of the company commanders sent back a, a, an act. He was t- letting you know he he was acknowledging something and 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 you knew that he did not have his stuff together or whatever it was. and so you you proceeded over email and then I think you doubled down in our next uh, drill weekend to explain exactly what acknowledged meant. <laughs> And I'm like, I'll, I'll never, never, ever forget that. You're like, you don't just get to type A-C-K and think everything's going to be fine. <laughs> it actually means you understand what I'm telling you and you will do the appropriate stuff about it That's right. to, to take care of it. It did not just mean, um, uh, yeah, here, here, I'm
1: checking the box. I'm, I'm moving on. Uh, we, we had some growing pains with that young captain, I remember. So, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> we hooked him up, though.
0: Yeah, we, we won't uh, say any names that's all it always seemed to be alpha company that always seemed to be the the, uh the challenging uh unit or at least yeah we can talk
1: hours about that that situation that's for sure
0: (laughs) hey uh bill i really appreciate you doing this we got to get together in person uh at some point for sure sure absolutely
1: thanks so much hey rob it's good meeting you and uh i really appreciate you guys having me on
0: If you enjoy this episode, please subscribe to wherever you listen to podcasts.
1: We'd also really appreciate if you'd rate and review us. You can find us at scodopodcast.com.